if you're not thinking about your mind in your process of coping with your IBD, then you're, you're neglecting an important area that's also impacting your body. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of Visceral, the podcast from the GI Research Foundation. My name is Anna Gomberg, and with me today, we have Elise Bedell, who is our GI psychologist at the University of Chicago Medicine. Dr. Bedell is an assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral neuroscience, an assistant professor of medicine, and is the director of our psychogastroenterology program. She has many, many areas of expertise, including behavioral medicine and helping with chronic disease symptom management, and is a practitioner of cognitive behavioral therapy. She is a graduate of Northwestern's Feinberg School of Medicine, and we are just so thrilled that she is with us today and every day at the Digestive Diseases Center. Welcome, Dr. Bedell. Thank you so much for having me, Annie. Looking forward to talking to you today. Wonderful. Well, we're just so thrilled for you to share your expertise with us. So I am aware that there are some connections between mental health and well-being and inflammatory bowel disease. Would you like to share a little bit about what those connections are and how uh, having IBD and mental health are related? Absolutely. So I think broadly, you know, when we think about mental health and IBD, we could think um, about depression. So symptoms of depression and symptoms of anxiety. For folks actually might not be familiar with what those terms mean, because um, actually many people aren't. We use those terms every day, but sometimes without knowing exactly what they mean. Um, depression can include a lot of different symptoms, but some of the most common would be feeling down, um, sad, having a low mood, or uh, a term called anhedonia, which is just a fancy term that means you're not really getting enjoyment in things anymore, or you really have no motivation to do things that you used to enjoy. So that's kind of a snapshot of what depression looks like. Um, anxiety also is comprised of a few different factors. It can include that kind of physiological sensation of being restless or keyed up or jittery. It can include a more cognitive component. So worry is one component of anxiety, and it can include behavioral manifestations like avoiding things because you're anxious or maybe overly engaging in reassurance seeking because you're anxious. Um, so just to have a little bit of a background on what those two terms mean. So both depression and anxiety have been really widely shown across research that they are much more common among folks with IBD. So of course, rates you know do vary widely across studies, but in general, we can think about symptoms of depression affecting uh, about 20 to 30% of patients with IBD. We can compare that to the general U.S. population of about 5 to 10% of folks being affected by symptoms of depression. Um, then we look at anxiety. <clears throat> anxiety affects about 30% of folks with IBD compared to about 20% of the general U.S. population. Um, and actually, it's good to keep in mind that those are kind of low figures in IBD because that's really looking at folks across all stages of the disease. If we were to only look at folks with active ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, those rates are actually a lot higher. So they'd be exceeding 50% of people with active IBD uh, would be struggling with pretty significant symptoms of depression and anxiety. Wow. And do we have any idea of what drives that association? What makes those differences happen? So it's a really good uh, way of thinking about the mind-body connection um, and the fact that we're aware that it probably works both ways, where things that are going on in the brain 
probably impact the body and may drive depression. Um, and things in the body may also drive factors in the brain. So as a psychologist, my role when I'm working with patients is to understand what I can of both, but primarily to understand factors associated with a person's thoughts and behaviors that might really drive depression and to help a person be able to optimize those. Um, but there's also an important area of research that is looking at the reverse. It's looking at factors that might be more specific to changes in the body that could occur along with IBD that may actually increase the likelihood or the severity of depression. So I would say that this is a growing area of research, um, but we do know that there are folks, so I would say there's actually a study that was a pretty monumental study that happened recently that actually tracked folks who did not have IBD and folks with depression were actually more likely to go on to develop IBD. Wow. Interestingly, being on an antidepressant medication was actually shown to be protective in developing IBD. So that is kind of hard to argue with when you see research like that coming out. Our institution is also working on this as well as other institutions trying to understand these types of mechanisms where the IBD itself, the mechanisms of the IBD may actually set a person up for developing depression or anxiety. Uh, we are looking into this, other institutions are, but I would say that is right now the less understood pathway what we understand better is more so where my role is, which is uh, an understanding that living with a chronic and unpredictable disease like inflammatory bowel disease causes changes in the way a person thinks and behaves, of course, and that those changes in thinking and behaving can set a person up to develop chronic mental health conditions like depression, anxiety. So we know it goes both ways, um, but at this point, we are really in some of the earlier but exciting stages of the research where we're trying to understand some of those um, factors, physiological changes in the body that might set a person up to develop mental health conditions. That's incredible and so interesting that that which you know would seem to be, I think that we would understand the first path that you described is more straightforward. If you don't feel well and you can't participate in the activities that you care about and you are suffering in work or in your social environment, or you know, as we hear from our patients often, we are just worried and anxious about how we feel every day. Am I going to be okay? Am I going to feel bad and worrying and being anxious about just symptom management? It would seem that that would impact one's mental health. But the idea that we're finding out that there might be something that, that goes sort of the, the causal relationship could be bi-directional is very interesting and, um, and, and perhaps cyclical or however else that might play out. More research needed as always. What can patients do to improve their mind-body connection and experience of IBD symptoms given this complex relationship? I mean, the first thing that I would say is just for people with IBD to be aware of how many factors can influence not only their mental health, but also their overall well-being. I do find oftentimes in my practice that folks with IBD are understandably very focused on medications and diet um, and the things that can feel a little bit more tangible and the things that might get talked about more in their medical visits, but recognizing that um, their, their well-being is also um, significantly impacted by their mental health. 
Um, and so again, just being aware actually of that previous conversation that we had that your mind and your body are intricately connected. So you really are, if you're not thinking about your mind in your process of coping with your IBD, then you're, you're neglecting an important area that's also impacting your body. More specifically, I would say that recognizing that our gut and our brain are connected is also important because many folks with IBD, even when in remission, um, can go on to experience more chronic symptoms, uh, symptoms like urgency um, or fatigue um, or continuing to have abnormal bowel movements. Um, and those can be very confusing symptoms for people because maybe they their last colonoscopy actually looked really good, their blood work is looking normal, and yet they're still not feeling well. And so recognizing actually that, again, these more brain factors or psychosocial factors can actually drive some of those symptoms as well. Um, and that can be really good to discuss with someone like me, a GI psychologist, but you should also discuss it with your gastroenterologist. Yeah. And some of our, our gastroenterologists, we, we spoke last time with um, Ben Benjamin Levy, who was talking a little bit about the overlap between irritable bowel syndrome and IBD and how... There's overlap in these two conditions, and irritable bowel syndrome is a syndrome of exclusion, and a lot of the symptoms that you've mentioned are part of it, and people can have both, and there are lots and lots of psychological impacts that influence the development and disease course of IBS and and help, and really, people's stress level really impacts IBS, people's overall mental health, their sleep, all of these things go into that as well. But yes, when you are feeling well or when you're feeling poorly, but your diagnostics say you don't have active disease right now, that can be really frustrating, I think, for patients and confusing. Absolutely. So I would totally agree with that. So I think it's it's just such an important thing, you know, if someone is uh, blessed enough that they can get into a position where they're in remission and all of those other other uh, markers and all those other tests are looking good. I mean, that's that's great. That baseline, that's great, right? But then I think being able to assess, but do I feel well? emotionally? Do I feel well physically? And if not, like that's where we don't want to end there. Um, you know, you want to keep that conversation going. And so as, as Dr. Levy, it sounds like, you know, was, was mentioning it's, it's completely true that so many people with IBD do have this overlapping, what I kind of consider like a more of a brain gut phenomenon where these symptoms are really being driven by this miscommunication that's happening between the gut brain axis. And of course, of course it commonly happens because that communication has been significantly altered from the months or years of inflammation that a person's body has been experiencing. So um, so I would say to that end, you know, tools that we use really commonly for irritable bowel syndrome or IBS are also quite effective for working with patients with IBD who are experiencing those symptoms. What are some of those tools? I know that we've talked about them in the past, but what are the things that people can use? What are the, the boots on the ground, if you will? Yeah. So for people that have access to working um, with the GI psychologist or a health psychologist with um, that specific GI training, we use cognitive behavioral therapy that's specifically adapted um, for GI conditions. And we specifically adapt it for IBD as well. And what that, you know, just in a nutshell, what that means is is that we are really trying to understand a person's thoughts, so cognitions and behaviors, the things that a person does or does not do, and how those actually impact um, the both gut symptoms itself and impact a person's mental and emotional well-being. 
And if we can understand the ways in which those thoughts and behaviors are serving a person well and the ways that they might not be serving a person well, a mental health provider can actually help a person little by little shift those thoughts and shift those behaviors to actually help them work better. It might seem surprising, but those are some of the things that actually change the communication in our gut-brain axis um, that can actually improve symptoms. The other uh, evidence-based treatment that we have in psychogastroenterology is gut-directed hypnotherapy. Hmm. I always kind of start by saying it's not actually as weird as it sounds. <laughs> I was um, going to say, tell me more. <laughs> medical, medical hypnosis has actually been used for uh, for decades and decades. Um, hypnotherapy was actually developed for that purpose of pain management. So in health psychology, it's still a tool that we use in our toolbox. Um, and it's been really well studied in irritable bowel syndrome, but there has been some research as well in applying this therapy in inflammatory bowel disease. Um, and it can be really helpful. Helpful, not only for helping a person just improve their ability to feel that they can cope with and manage their disease, but also in actually reducing the symptoms themselves. And so especially when we think about those symptoms that a person may experience when they're in remission, but they're continuing to struggle and medications aren't really staying on top of it, uh, really both CBT and gut-directed hypnotherapy can really um, can be very helpful tools. And I use these every day with my patients with IBD. And they're ones that I think people people also just really enjoy learning. It gives them a bit more control, something that they can do um, in addition to taking their medications or whatever, whatever else is on their treatment plan. That's amazing. All right. So I'm going to maybe think about antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. I'm going to get some CBT. I'm going to think about gut-directed hypnotherapy. What about some of the other complementary therapies that we've talked about, like yoga and meditation? How do those things impact the mind-body connection and our experience of IBD symptoms? Yeah, I think at this point, you know, in our it's again, those are I think areas that are still growing in terms of research. And unfortunately, research in some of these areas are hard, hard to do and not as well funded. But I think in general, I see many people that really appreciate using those more complementary treatments as well. Um, I think something like yoga is just sort of in its essence a mind-body type of practice. Um, I think if you're doing it sort of right, it should be kind of meditative as well. Even if you're getting really good exercise, it should be a meditative practice. Um, and then it is also really good exercise and our bodies really appreciate stretching. They appreciate strength building and flexibility. And something that I also see among all of my GI patients, not just IBD, is that many folks who experience digestive problems hold a lot of tension in their belly and in their pelvic floor. Um, maybe because of pain, because of discomfort, there can be this, this tendency to kind of guard and it can be difficult to unlearn that tendency. And so things like stretching, like yoga practice um, can be really helpful in just learning how to relax those muscles, uh, which can actually also be helpful in improving um, overall GI symptoms. And that is wonderful. That's really good to hear because the complexity is there, but all of those things are things that I, you know, I've certainly had patients say have really helped them in their day-to-day lives. So I think that's, um, I'm, I'm not a practitioner, but I lead our support group. And so we have, you know, certainly a lot of back and forth about what is helpful, what is helpful just in terms of symptom relief and feeling uh, like you're in charge of your of your body and your wellness. So 
It's great to hear that there's at least some evidence base for that, if not as much as we'd like. As a takeaway, what would you want to tell every patient with IBD in terms of their mental health? What is one thing that you would want them to do? What's the one message you would like to share with your patients or with potential patients or people who are living with IBD in regard to their mental health? I think just a recognition, first off, that they're not alone. I think similarly in my work, not only with individual patients, but also doing some group work, it's like the most powerful thing to hear is that you're not the only one that's struggling with some of these mental health concerns or having some of these broader psychosocial concerns like uh, problems with sleep, problems with sexual dysfunction, problems with body image that, you know, unfortunately, these can come along in the trajectory of living, you know, a lifetime with IBD. Not for everyone, not for every time, but I would say the majority of people are struggling with at least a few of these factors. So I think recognizing you're not alone, it's not unusual, but also recognizing that there is help when it comes to treatment of, let's even say, depression and anxiety. We do have very effective treatments for that, you know, whether it is medications like antidepressants that, by the way, can be helpful for both depression and anxiety. Those can be wonderful tools um, to add to a person's toolbox. Um, and so I'm, you know, even though I don't, I'm not a prescriber of medications, I'm very supportive of people going and getting an evaluation with their primary care provider or a, a psychiatrist to see if those might be options. Those can be very helpful. But also, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and a few other different types of psychological therapies are also very effective in treating both depression and anxiety. And if you have access to be working with someone, even for a few sessions, who has some of that IBD-specific experience, that can be really helpful in just understanding, you know, what are some of the specific factors related to the IBD that might be driving the depression and anxiety, even if then that treatment might need to be continued with a mental health provider that is more specialized in treatment of depression and anxiety. And I make those referrals a lot too. And again, I would just say that maybe finally, just remembering that mental health is sometimes a bit more of a narrow scope, but even just thinking about psychosocial factors more broadly, psychological factors that can include mental health, but also social factors like stress and stigma. And like I mentioned before, body image and sexual functioning, um, that these are all important factors when we are just considering the whole person beyond the disease um, living with IBD. Absolutely. Oh, that's such a good message and such a wonderful place for us to to conclude this discussion because it is uh, it's your whole life, right? This, this disease impacts your whole life and it is your whole person. So uh, being mindful of that as you are pursuing your treatment and on your journey is so useful. Um, Dr. Bedell, you are a wealth of wisdom. I am so always so delighted to speak with you and to have you on our team. I, I don't know how you do it. And I hope that we are going to continue to expand the GI behavioral health resources that we have for folks. Um, because uh, I think everybody should have an appointment with you <laughs> uh, when they start uh, coming to the University of Chicago for their IBD care. Um, thank you so much for coming and for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a delight as always. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast Visceral from the GI Research Foundation. This episode was written and produced by me, Anna Gomberg, and edited and mixed by the incredible Mike collins Dowd, who also composed our theme music. We hope you will join us next time. Until then, to access other podcasts and to learn more about research, to treat, 
prevent and cure digestive diseases, please visit the website at GIResearchFoundation.org. That's GIResearchFoundation.org.